This is Andrew Cook. I'm one of the producers at Grace Baptist Mission in the radio team. Some will know that uh, our family life is affected by disability as our eldest daughter suffers from a condition called Rett syndrome. And during a sabbatical a couple of years ago, I was able to do some work on disability and the gospel and church life. And what you're about to hear is part of an ongoing project that brings together some of the things I was able to delve into at that time. So hello and welcome to the Additional Needs podcast, episode four with me, Andrew Cook. This is the last part of a conversation I had a couple of years back with Mark Arnold. He works for Urban Saints and he's their Additional Needs Ministry Director. In this part of our discussion, we begin with the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 from verses 12 to 31. From that passage then, 1 Corinthians 12, what does inclusion look like in a biblical context? Paul's talking about that an inclusive church is a church where everybody belongs. And he he talks about Jew and Gentile, um, slave and free. And he's writing in a time when the church is spreading out and there are debates within the church, the early church, about should everybody be able to be involved in that? But Paul is here saying, actually, the, the church is for everyone. Whoever they are, whatever they bring, wherever they come from, the church is for everyone. And, and so to apply that today is to look at that in our own context and to say, you know, whoever we are, whatever our background, whatever we bring, specifically in the context of additional needs and disability, but it, you know, it can cover a whole range of things too, that church is for all, that, that the gospel message is for everyone. Jesus, when he walked the earth, met with everybody. He didn't exclude anybody. He, in fact, you know, statistically, majority of his encounters with people, the miracles that he performed, included people with disabilities, people with long-term medical conditions, a whole range of different things. They were the the folk that Jesus spent more of his time with. I'm just going to read those few verses, 21 to 23. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it is just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones we can't do without. The parts we think are less important, we treat with special honour. This is about what uh, believers' gifts are and how they fit into the church, to the body of Christ. And uh, we've already talked long and hard about how physical and other disabilities are often barriers to inclusion. How would you suggest this can be addressed based on this passage here? What Paul is saying to us here is that a church needs everybody, that everybody has a part to play. And that that no one part is more important than the other. He makes the point that the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, and that's an important phrase, an important word he uses, seems to be weaker, are the ones we can't do without. There is very much a message in this for us that says that everybody, including members of our congregation, including members of any age within our congregation, have a part to play. I think if God has put his message on the heart of a 10-year-old disabled child, who are we to say that they aren't able to share that with us? I've encountered some profoundly disabled 
children and young people who absolutely shine with the love of God and may not be able to articulate that verbally, but in one look can say more than perhaps you know we could in half an hour of preaching. There's a part for everybody to play. A church that doesn't include people with additional needs or disabilities is, by definition of what Paul's writing here, a disabled church, a church that is missing bits of the body. Just as we would badly miss our hand or our foot if we were without it, we would badly miss those members of our congregation who who have disabilities or additional needs because what they bring can be distinctive and different uh, and God can use them in uh, in a range of ways to bless the church and to be a part of the church and to serve the church as well. I don't know if I picked this up from what you said somewhere or if I picked it up from elsewhere, but verse 21 raises issues about certain types of gifts being more prioritised mm. in, in the church. You've talked about the weaker parts of the body. And I think verse 21, it talks about the eye and the head. Yes. I guess those would be seen as a kind of the more showy, the more public types of gifting within the church. Mm. What, what sort of what does that say in terms of how we prioritise, how we uh, encourage certain gifts rather than, than others? I think this is quite a broad issue because I think if we if we went to many churches, the the recognition and the focus can be on those that are leading services or preaching or teaching. You know, those those tend to be the areas of work that get the most attention. Whereas, of course, we all realise that uh, a lot of that would be very difficult if nobody unlocked the building and if uh, nobody turned the heating on and nobody uh, was running the sound system so that, you know, the amplification and it would be a disaster if nobody was serving tea and coffee. <laughs> um, so there's a broad issue there of actually how we recognise everybody and, and everybody's part that they play in that. When this comes to thinking about people with additional needs or, or disability, I, I think they're part of that broader conversation because often people with a disability can be viewed as as not being appropriate for some of those higher profile roles. There's a very good friend of mine, Kay Morgan Gurr, who several years ago I set up the Additional Needs Alliance with. Kay often uses a wheelchair. She often struggles with pain in various parts uh, of her body. She is a wonderfully gifted speaker. She's the best children's worker I've ever met. In a few short sentences can articulate some wonderful theology or teaching that can be really, really helpful. And God uses her in amazing ways. But quite often she finds that she's excluded from things. God can use any of us in all sorts of different ways to serve. Jesus couldn't have fed all those people if a small boy's lunch hadn't been available. And so you know, that small boy helped that amazing miracle to happen. There are ways in which we can serve, which, which may not always be given the profile that they should. But also there are ways that we can serve in any role, in teaching, in preaching. Whether somebody has a disability or not shouldn't be a barrier to that, but sadly can still be. On that last point, just thinking about what Paul wrote 
about the the head and the hands and the feet and and the ears is that can be a, a useful story to help us think about how we can be more inclusive in the work that we're doing in the church. So feet are all about moving forward and about making progress. And and so when we think about feet, we can think about how can we look at ways to be more inclusive in the work that we're doing. You know, hands are all about service, greeting others. How can we be uh, more servant-hearted to families that are joining us where they've got a child with additional needs or a disability? How can we make sure that we're we're greeting them and and recognising how, you know, as we were saying earlier, how hard it can be to to reach church at all? How can we use our ears to listen and understand how we can support them and help them to actually let them help us to help them? How can we use our eyes to see those needs, to see that actually a child who's having a meltdown is having a meltdown in response to the things that perhaps we're doing in church that perhaps we could do a little differently? And also to understand that that's not bad behaviour, but it's actually a response to, to what's going on. And you know, how can we use our head? to think differently, to change our thinking, to to not be those meerkats that swivel our heads around and look when somebody's having a, a difficult time, but actually to use our heads and our heart to reach out to them in love and be Jesus to them in those vulnerable times as well. So I think Paul's story here is his illustration can be really useful for us in that way too. Okay, thank you very much. That's That's very helpful. In the next question to Mark Arnold, I asked him how churches that want to include families with additional needs can move from loving acceptance of to active engagement with such families. It will look a little different for each church, but I think that there are some things that a church can do to support families like yours, like mine, like others, who need that extra support when coming to church to to care for our child. Because it's really important as family that we're also not just turning up at church with our disabled child and then being in a room somewhere with them and then coming home again. There's almost a, a sense of, well, why bother going if you might as well just be at home if that's all that's going to happen we all need a range of ways of being spiritually fed so in our case with James we've got a a little team of three folk from our church who have journeyed with James many of them since he was little a little team of three who wrote to care for James when we arrive at church Three works quite well. Sort of once a month, the other typical Sunday of a month, we'll often have James in with us in church. It's a different style of service. So on the other three Sundays, they'll rotor. It's really key that when we're looking to build those those little mini teams to support children, that we help people to understand that actually we're not looking for children's workers. I've made the mistake sometimes of standing up in front of our congregation to say we need some more help with our children's team and immediately seeing two thirds of the congregation switch off because they don't see themselves as children's workers and they'll they'll switch off from that notice and wait for the next one because that might be about cake. But actually what we need is a little team of folk who would just be willing to get alongside a child or young person to be able to help them know what's happening now, what's happening next 
to be able to support them to do whatever the activity is that they're engaged with, to look out for the early signs of them struggling and to know what to do if that happens, and just to be alongside them and, and giving them the confidence that there's somebody there with them to help them. And that's a different set of skills uh, to a typical children's worker who might be jumping around at the front leading songs and games and, and talks and things. It's finding that that bunch of people. We've been greatly blessed in finding those three for James. Three's a good number as well in that their commitment is just once a month. That's all they get to do. It means that if one of them needed to stop doing what they're doing, then the other two could fill in and the change wouldn't be too dramatic for James. He'd be able to cope with that. It means they can swap around if one of them's on holiday or not feeling well or whatever, they can change things around. And James is able to cope with three, a few more than that, and it might be a bit more difficult for him to know who he's got this time and what's happening, but he can cope with with three. And it gives a good model, a good example to the rest of our church as well. They see Alison and Ian and Rich with James supporting him. It helps them to think about and how that can be a good example to the congregation as a whole. And on the basis of that then, do other people in the congregation then try and interact with James? Yes. Yeah. So we'll get people that will say hello to James. And uh, that's something we, we actively encourage, even if they are just passing by, to just say hello. James can respond to that or choose not to if he's uh, not wanting to. But but just, again, him feeling that actually people are, are noticing him and are engaging with him, even in that simple way, just a simple greeting, can really make a big difference. We then spent the last part of our conversation talking about recent TV dramas that included representations of disability. There have been lots and lots of things that uh, I've seen uh, over the last sort of year or two that have really been great to see. They've got a, a strong positive message out there. Um, there was a, a brilliant documentary that was made by Sally Phillips. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. um, who has a, a son with Down syndrome. A world without Down syndrome. Any of those kinds of of programs that are raising awareness, getting people to think about disability in positive ways, and you know whether it's specific programs like that, or or even down to things like Lauren on Strictly Come Dancing, who was born with part of her arm missing. Things like the Paralympics and Invictus Games have been on mainstream TV, uh, primetime viewing. And, and again, all of this makes a difference. It all really helps. And, and and we're actually seeing that coming through in Hollywood movies as well. So there was a, a film I did a review for through uh, Urban Saints, a film called Wonder. Wonder is all about a boy who's born with um, some facial disfigurement. And it was a big mainstream film, Julia Roberts in it, you know, Owen Wilson, you know, some big name actors that, that are in it. And I, I just think it's there's a shift in the media generally that is really starting to show disability in a, a more positive light. And the days when it was all sort of hidden away mm. uh, uh, you know, do seem to, to be behind us. I think it's so helpful for parents uh, because 
it can be an isolating uh, existence, can't it? Because people can mean well and, and can want to take an interest, but actually nobody really gets it unless they've walked that journey themselves to some extent. And I think that the kind of conversations that we can have as as parents who have you know, disabled children are different to maybe the conversations we can have with other parents. You know, there's stuff we can talk about that we might not talk about with other parents. And I mentioned my friend Kay Morgan Gurr. As I say, we founded this thing called the Additional Needs Alliance. Part of that is a Facebook group. There's getting on for 1,800 people that connect through that these days. And a, a lot of them are parents, there are children's and youth workers and others in there too. Parents have found that to be a safe place where they can share their story and and actually seek people's advice and, and, and input and, and be willing to talk about life in all its detail and actually know that other people that are reading that and responding to that are people that are on that journey too, maybe a bit further down the road than they are and might have been able to offer a bit of help. An example of that, which I still look back with fondness, was a a mum who posted on the, the, the Facebook group that her disabled son, who amongst a bunch of physical disabilities was also autistic, had had to have an operation and for a few weeks needed to use a colostomy bag. Uh, the hospital had taped it to his leg, and because of his autism and you know his sensory responses, he just couldn't have that there, and he kept tearing it off. And you can imagine the consequences. And and she was desperate for any thoughts or ideas that that could help. She was just at her wit's end, didn't know what to do. And a whole bunch of other parents offered their tips. And by the end of the day, she'd got three or four different really good <laughs> ideas, one of which worked an absolute treat. She got her son some cargo trousers that had a big pocket on the outside, made a little hole for the tube to come through. The bag went in the cargo trouser uh, pocket on the outside, and he was perfectly okay with that. So by the end of the day, the day had started as a nightmare and had ended with somebody really having an answer to that problem. And that's perhaps a journey that you can only go on with people that have trod that path. Mm -hmm. You were talking about it was good that these media series are are raising awareness. I I just remember there was a film, this is going back a while, I think it was called Snowflake, Mm. and I think it was about an older person with autism. There was a scene where there was a a neighbour who was talking about this person with autism, and she goes, Oh yes, I know all about autism. I've seen Rain Man, <laughs> and because they think they've they've mm. they've seen one version of, in that particular case, autism, they think they understand all of it. A phrase that I love is when you've met someone with autism, you've met someone with autism. You, you know, you haven't met everyone. There's a, a wide range of ways in which autism works differently for different people. The whole language of autism continually evolves. It's still widely known as autism spectrum disorder. Increasingly now people are ditching the disorder bit, which is good news, and and so referring to it as autism spectrum condition. But even that, you know, there are folk that feel that again that's still not an appropriate terminology and and just talk about it as a neurodiversity, along with other neurodiversities like dyslexia and and others. So just 
phrasing it differently, just using different terminology, trying to take away some of the negativity. You know, you call something a disorder and immediately that creates a, a negative framework to think about that particular condition. So trying to look at different ways of describing these conditions in, in ways that perhaps are less damaging in, in their terminology, I think is, mm-hmm. is, is really helpful. My thanks to Mark Arnold. I trust you found that as stimulating and helpful as I did. I did want to mention a couple of books that have come to my attention recently. One is Unbroken Faith, Spiritual Recovery for the Special Needs Parent by Diane Doko Kim. What's so good about this one is that it's written by someone who really gets it, someone whose faith has been tried and tested by the news of her son's autism. Someone whose hopes and dreams of how things could have turned out were shattered. Every chapter ends with unbreakable promises from God's word, a short prayer and questions for further thought. So that's Unbroken Faith, Spiritual Recovery for Special Needs Parents by Diane Doko Kim. And the publisher is Worthy Publishing. The other book is Parenting and Disabilities, Abiding in God's Presence, 31-Day Devotionals for Life. The author is Stephanie O. Hubach, which some may know of from her other book, Same Lake, Different Boat. At the moment, I'm using the Parenting and Disabilities title for my daily reading and very much enjoying and benefiting from it. The author is really good at taking just one aspect of what it's like to be a parent of of a child with a disability or additional needs and to bring a short scripture to bear on each situation. So that's Parenting and Disabilities, Abiding in God's Presence, 31-Day Devotionals for Life by Stephanie O. Hubach, published by PNR Publishing. One thing I would say is that these books are, of course, great for parents with a child of additional needs. But if you don't fit into that category, don't let that put you off. These books are still really helpful because they'll help you to get some understanding of what it's like to parent children with disabilities. Anyway, that's just about it for this episode of the Additional Needs podcast. If you'd like to comment on what you've heard or message me, you can do that via Twitter at akcook2004 or via the SoundCloud page, also akcook2004. Until next time, this is Andrew Cook saying goodbye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>